Welcome to the Future is Healthy podcast, where we have in-depth conversations with experts to help navigate wellness and empower all of us to make feasible changes to a healthier life and healthier world. In today's conversation, we speak with Ashley and Sarah Armstrong, or the Strong Sisters, who are sisters who document and share their journey towards optimal health. They were diagnosed with autoimmune conditions about 10 years ago, and that started their long journey to regain health. They are proponents that true health involves a lot more balance than we are led to believe, and it's actually very simple. They are on a mission to improve human health and the health of the planet by changing the way food is grown and raised. Their farm, Angel Acres, is a plot of 22 acres in Michigan, where they implement regenerative agriculture practices. They are making an educational and experiential hub where people can come and visit, stay, and learn about and experience regenerative agriculture. They run an amazing account where you can follow their journey. Ashley and Sarah start off the conversation by defining what health is and how can we tell if we are healthy or not based off of mood, energy, skin, and other factors. They talk about their journey with health and how they got involved in farming. We talk about the importance of regenerative agriculture and how we can support the important movement. We also talk about how to support our body's detox system and why they eat nose to tail when consuming animal meat. This was an awesome conversation and we hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Now onto the podcast. Hi, Ash and Sarah, welcome to the future is healthy podcast. We are so excited to chat with you. I know we already talked a little bit about mold, but we're excited to hear your journey and all about health. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having us on your podcast. We really love all of your guests and all the topics that you guys are bringing mm. to people's attention. It's super important. Cool. Well, first off, let's start with what is your definition of health? I think that, um, most notably our definition of health has evolved so much over the last decade. So we like to say we've been in the health and wellness field for that long. Um, but what's healthy to us now looks completely different than what it was, you know, 10, even like two years ago, really. Yeah. And so when we think about health now, we're thinking about how well is the body functioning? And so from a female perspective, we're thinking like, okay, how's the menstrual cycle? You know, are you ovulating every month? How are your body temperatures? And then just even basic things like, how's your mood? How's your energy? So before we used to see health as like, oh, we're following, you know, this diet, or we're doing this set of, you know, restrictive rules. And this is making me healthy. For example, like I fasted for 16 hours, check Mark. That was healthy. Yeah. So I think that's what we've been told, you know, like, okay, follow this new quick thing. This is how you're going to get healthy. This is how you're going to detox, but coming full circle, we realized the body's going to do what it's supposed to do. You know, it's going to detoxify. If you are providing at the cellular level, you know, all of the nutrients it needs to do this, like our bodies know what to do. We just need to provide them with the op the optimal fuel to do so. And so now we see being healthy as, like I said, you know, the body temperature, are we pooping every day? How's our energy and mood? So it's been a long journey to come here, but I think that this is such a nice place to be because you're no longer seeing health as restrictive. It's something that's sustainable for the rest of your life. Yeah. I would also add on a few more things there. Um, would be like healthy hair and skin. So having like good skin health mm -hmm. is a reflection that like things inside your body are operating well. And then Sarah brought up like 
high body temperature and pulse is a good way to gauge your metabolism. And I think having a strong metabolism is super important to making your body resilient and strong in our ever increasing toxic environments. Cause we're all exposed to high levels of toxins, just more and more each year. I heard the other day that there's like a two to 5% increase in the amount of toxins that we all are exposed to each year. So having a really strong and robust metabolism where your body is able to maintain structure and detoxify properly and run certain processes optimally. I think that that's super important. So it's what we take more of like holistic kind of all areas of life. Yeah. But notice we didn't say anything about like weight or body fat percentage. So I just think that's just, uh, if I could just yeah. tell yourself, you know, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a, that's such a rabbit hole that I think, I mean, all genders fall into, but I think women, especially like what you were saying with the fasting or keto. And a lot of times all of these studies have been done on men too. And so whatever is optimal for men doesn't necessarily mean that'll be optimal for like female bodied people. Yes. I love that you brought that up. That's such a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And I also love your guys' definition, all of it. It's it, what is health. It's a very broad question, but yeah. I think you answered it super well. And I do also love that you specifically said that your skin health is supposed to look good because we always forget that our skin is an organ. So if all of our organs need to be functioning properly, we want our skin to look good too. Yeah. I think that's actually one of the most interesting things about our mold experience, not to go on a tangent here, but that was the first sign that something was wrong with my health. And I needed to like look around my environment to see what was going on. Cause I started to deal with dermatitis, which I had never dealt with in the past. So it's almost a blessing that our skin, you know, reacts first because then we can say, okay, hold on. Instead of like, just going in, like slapping some prescription, you know, cream on it, what's going on inside that's causing this. We're told like so much that, you know, you can heal from the outside with lotions and creams and all these expensive things. When in reality, the skin really is a reflection of what's happening on the outside inside inside. Yeah. (laughs) And to back up a little bit, can you guys tell me your story? Like what got you into the health and wellness space? And I know, I mean, this is kind of a two-part question because there's a lot y'all do, but how did you get into farming now? So what's your trajectory? Okay. (laughs) All right. So I grew up as an athlete, like kind of took things like way too seriously. Right. And so I was always into like, okay, what can I do nutrition and exercise wise to maximize my performance? So that's kind of how I got into it. Um, definitely reached the like orthorexic line where just got like extremely obsessed with it and kind of let that like take over my life. Um, and so it started way back when I was in my teens Um, And like Sarah said, our definition of health has definitely evolved back then. It was all about like chicken breast, brown rice, zero fat, and like any sort of red meat, you should limit that because high cholesterol and and all of that. And then, um, from there, we kind of got into kind of strength training and how we can maximize our strength in the gym and improve our muscle growth. And we got into IIFYM, if it fits your macros. And so there was definitely like that fad period around like 2012 or so, where like everyone was like, you can fit Pop Tarts into your macros. It was just like, that is where everybody got stuck on like (laughs) external appearance as health. Yeah. Really failing to recognize the future consequences of like not hitting your micronutrients, 
just thinking about like, okay, is this going to fit my macros? Yeah. So that's a, that's a, and I see that on Instagram so much now. So anyway, we were there. Yeah. And then there's a huge difference too, between like, okay, well, am I getting enough fat, enough carbohydrates, but like, what kind of fat are you getting? What kind of carbohydrates are you getting? Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. At the time we were still fitting in our vegetables. Um, cause we thought that that was the best way to get our micronutrients in little. Did we know that like the vegetables that we were eating were loaded with pesticides, chemicals, and then we were not cooking them properly. So they were loaded with anti-nutrients that was affecting nutrient absorption. And long story short, we got to this place where we were extremely plant-based. Um, and so we were just consuming a lot of vegetables, but not prepared properly at all. Like not even intentionally (laughs) plant-based, just like didn't know enough, didn't know about animal nutrients and all this stuff. So can I go into that? Yeah. 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 Then we got diagnosed with autoimmune conditions. Um, this was when we were, I was like 17, I think. And so this kind of kickstarted us into like the health and wellness. Like how can I take back my health in my own hands? Um, and since we're here to talk about farming, I'm just going to fast forward very quickly through this. We went through a stage of a lot of fasting. So like 24 hour fast, you know, one meal a day, this went into keto. And then we went to the carnivore diet for a full year. Only so ate brown things for a year. We were those weird people on YouTube being like, I'm eating raw spleen. Uh, and raw spleen. Yeah. It just, I, wow. Don't go to our YouTube channel. <laughs> you got to um, send us that one. But I, I mentioned that because along our carnivore journey, we started to really understand the importance of, um, animal nutrients and the, source from where you get your food. So we were sourcing responsibly because we recognized we were making a huge impact, you know, eating all meat. So we wanted to make sure that we were supporting really good farms. So we got really into regenerative agriculture and finding small local farmers. And in this process, so like in that year, we visited like 15 or more farms and we recognized how powerful it can be to know exactly where your food's coming from. And then even further to grow your own food. And so being two young girls who, you know, are in this really world that's becoming more and more plant-based, we needed to figure out a way how we could make an impact within regenerative agriculture and bringing people back to understand the importance of animal nutrients. So, yeah. So I think an important thing to bring up is that we were plant-based at some point along our journey, because we really thought that it was one best for our health, but also best for the environment. Like we were, we've always been environmentally conscious and that's like the mainstream message that is out there that like, if you go plant-based, you're doing things that are better for the environment. Um, so it was really challenging for us to make this switch to carnivore initially, because it's like, wait, now we're not eating any plants. Isn't that bad for the environment? So right away, when we switched to carnivore, we made sure that we were sourcing from a local farmer. Um, I think during our carnivore and many and years after we have now visited over like 25 local farmers. And I think that we like felt their passion, their connection to the land. We saw their animal husbandry. We saw the improvements that they were making to the land. And it's just a totally different picture than what like the mainstream media paints as like animal agriculture. Um, And so seeing like how well they take care of their animals and the resulting nutrients in animal based products, like she brought up, um, it was just like a huge switch in our thinking from the past. Um, and we fell in love with it. And during graduate school, 
I recognized that like, I wanted to spend all of my free time learning about regenerative agriculture, learning about soil health and Sarah and I experiencing firsthand how the, not only the type of food that you're eating, but how that food is raised or grown has an impact on your health. Like experiencing that firsthand was really powerful. And so we wanted to try to make an impact at a larger scale by documenting starting this farm um, from scratch. So we are first generation female farmers starting a regenerative farm from scratch. And we hope that like along this journey, we can help um, inspire, educate, entertain. Sometimes we do silly things, um, others, because in order for regenerative agriculture to work, like we have to create a more conscious consumer base. And so we hope that by like documenting and sharing our journey, we can help inform others about this, who many people think that plant-based is the way to go when in reality, um, regenerative agriculture is the future, should be the future. Oh my gosh. I, I love what you guys do. That's amazing. So how do you guys, if you're trying to convince friends, family, or whoever, even your followers about regenerative farming and regenerative food, how do you convince them? Do you tell them it tastes better? Do you tell them it's better for the environment? What's your pitch? So this is an ongoing, uh, challenge for us because we are two young first generation farmers who haven't proved ourselves yet. Um, I would say that both of us are definitely book smart, right? We don't have the proven track record yet that it works. And so it, we come from a slightly disadvantaged place to be able to spread this message. And that's one of the, another reason why we wanted to start the farm to show, Hey, you actually can do this. Um, and we live in an area and region where like, there are a lot of like older men into farming who've done this their whole life and their, their dad did it this way. Their grandpa did it this way. And who are these two young girls coming in telling us that we we're doing it wrong. Um, I think the f- most important thing to keep in mind is that like the farmer, it's not the farmer's fault. The farmer is doing the best that he or she can in the current system that is completely messed up from our government, completely messed up. So given the conventional agriculture system and the subsidy system, the farmer is doing the best that he or she can. So one should never attack a farmer. I personally think I've seen um, learning about like, for example, Gabe Brown and these other leaders in the regenerative ag space who've made the transition. I really think it has to be that person to, to make the decision. They have to reach some sort of, you know, tragedy on the farm or see like, see it happen firsthand. Like I think the waste you described. Yeah. Like yeah. the waste. I, I think the visual and experience is the way to, to convince people. So the more stories we can document, tell, share, the better we're going to be. You can't just like tell someone this is better. I think that that's not the approach any of us should take. We should instead like visit farms, make videos of how they've improved their production after making these changes. Like we can hopefully make a success video in a couple of years after completely switching our fields from monocrop corn and soy to hopefully beautiful perennial pastures with more organic matter. So I think it comes from really sharing the stories more and more. Yeah. Like for us with our farm, like our goal is to make it somewhere people can come and we're going to have like yurts so they can stay and they can learn. They can go, you know, if you're, if, if the farmer has interacted with the animals, you can go up to the animals. People can go up to the sheep. Um, We'll have our wedding barn. Like you guys, we want you guys to come, you know, and (laughs) that's how you get people who maybe wouldn't, like somebody who is in our generation who maybe like loves going to, you know, pumpkin patches or fall fest. 
Well, we have to now create that regeneratively. Mm -hmm. So they have a reason to come learn about it. So that's our goal. Well, that's That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, And it's really up to the storytellers and like you guys uh, to really tell that story and get people interested. Yeah. And I think there's a little bit of a missing gap with the younger generation. Um, The leaders in the regenerative ag space, they're all great friends of ours. Like Gabe Brown is, he's done so much for us. He's a really great guy. Um, But I don't think that the younger generation can connect to Gabe Brown. Um, So I think it's about creating role models and stories in every generation and in a wide array of people. So that way you can relate to as many groups of people as possible. And ultimately the biggest goal, like she said, we want to create like a destination hub where people, we just want as many people to know about the word regenerative agriculture as they can, because right now, like we brought up earlier, if someone searches in Google, like what's the most sustainable way to eat? And it's just, it's plant-based, but that's just, that's just not true. It's not true. Yeah. And so, sorry, go ahead. Necessarily. It depends on how those plants were grown and raised. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something I wanted to touch on because you had mentioned animal nutrients and then also how um, animals are being raised. So first of all, why is it so important to eat animals and like what nutrients can you get from that? And then also um, how do you raise animals responsibly? Mm. Okay. So for, in terms of animal nutrients, um, I just think you cannot overlook the power of First off, we're really into nose to tail eating. So things like liver, beef liver is just such an incredible source of bioavailable vitamin A. We've got copper in there. Um, So really it comes down to the availability of these micronutrients. Um, You don't have to deal with the anti-nutrients that you see in plants. And you're also getting, you know, A, D, E, K, these amazing fat soluble vitamins um, and things like dairy too. Dairy has been so demonized, but it's the absolute best source of calcium that's coming with all of the different minerals. It needs to be put together with like magnesium, calcium, potassium. Um, but you can't just go and tell somebody, Oh yeah, dairy is amazing. Because when you go to the store, the problem is you're just hit in the face with just a bunch of pasteurized dairy. That's got synthetic vitamin A and D added hormones. So it's not, Oh, hormones. It's not, it's not the, it's not dairy at that point. It's man-made. And we actually have a post on the like what happened there, like why it became that way. It's very interesting, um, the whole dairy industry thing. But um, when we went to carnivore, the reason we became so passionate about this all is because we saw significant health changes, Mm -hmm. right? For the first time ever, my hair started growing. um, My skin cleared up. I didn't feel like brain fog come 2 or 3 p.m. Um, Granted, there were a lot of changes we made at once, but that's something that's remained consistent even when we went away from carnivore because we kept in, you know, the weekly beef liver. We kept in one or two servings of meat um, every day or every other day. So those kind of things just cannot be overlooked. And I think that somebody needs to slowly bring these foods back in to experience the health differences um, to really understand. And that's that's exactly what happened with us. I think some other things to touch on is... um, the like complete protein sources. So like meat, animal oh, yeah. products contain all of the essential amino acids, whereas many of the plant isolated proteins are just some of the amino acids and they have to be combined with each other. And ultimately like a lot of these plants proteins are protein powders that are manufactured in these plants that are exposed to heavy toxin loads. And a lot of these like protein powders aren't even regulated by the FDA. And so there's just a lot behind the scenes. And I think 
the biggest thing to think about is like what's not in plants, you know? So like the anti-nutrients like she brought up or what's not in animals and what's not in animals. Yeah. You there you go. What's not in animals. <laughs> um, so just like the bioavailability, I think is the biggest thing mm-hmm. and the biggest difference between the two. And we're not anti-plants, like we still eat plants, but they have to be cooked a certain way to reduce those anti-nutrients. Um, and yeah, I think you can't deny the fact that our ancestors have consumed animal products for millions of years. Did you ask then what's sustainable? Yeah. And isn't, isn't like omega-3 not bioavailable in plants as it is in animal products? You know, I think that it's interesting you bring that up because so we're in this like world called like pro-metabolic. And so there's like this omega-3 thing, but, um, you do get a lot of healthy omega fats from your animal meat. And then when you're thinking of like the supplements, the omega-3 oils or the pills, you know, that were sold that we were told to take to lower inflammation. It's really interesting if you look into where they're actually coming from and how it's like processed and stuff, it's actually really toxic Yeah, because they go rancid. And so it's just, it's the same thing of like buying a multivitamin and getting all the synthetic A's, D's, K's, when you could really just have, you know, a glass of raw milk or just, you know, um, good grass-fed pasteurized milk um, and a serving of like beef or something and get the same nutrients. It's, it's crazy. Okay. I'm going to touch on putting like lemon in the pills so that you can't taste the rancidness of the fish oil. Yes. A few years ago, I actually watched, I had had a bunch in my pocket and this (laughs) This was like seven years. This shows the state of my mind at this time. I washed it. And then for like three weeks straight, I smelled like fish oil, just everything. (laughs) Never never wash anything with With fish oil in your pocket. With a hint of lemon. (laughs) Um, but that's important. I, I want to touch on one more thing. Um, the types of fats in plant products versus animal products. And I think a lot of people still demonize animals wrongfully because they believe that saturated fat is bad. And this simply goes back to the argument that consuming polyunsaturated fatty acids, PUFAs, lowers your cholesterol. And so mainstream views that as a good thing. But Dietary cholesterol says nothing about your actual cholesterol levels. And I think the FDA has finally maybe reversed their opinion on this, but there've been several papers that have come out in the last five years or so that have demonstrated saturated fat is something that we should not fear. Saturated fat has, does not have a double carbon bond in its, in its chain. And so it is more stable under heat oxygen and light. We are 98.6 degree Fahrenheit humans. Any fats that we put inside our bodies are exposed to heat. And then we have skin, like you said, the organ is exposed to light, um, in the sunlight. And so these fats that we consume can become oxidized lipid peroxidation, um, and polyunsaturated fatty acids, PUFAs are more unstable than saturated fats. And many of the plant proteins, such as like soybean, for example, very high in omega-6. That is a very unstable fat source to be stuffing into your body. And it takes four, anywhere, I've seen the estimates two to five years for your body to completely turn over the amount of the fat types of fat in your body. So the food that you're consuming now has implications on your health like years from now. And so the types of fat we consume and we believe that you should be prioritizing saturated fat, which is the main type of fat in animal foods is so important to your health. Yeah. What is tallow? 
Tallow is rendered beef fat. It's crazy that, so part of our carnivore journey, we definitely got into like ancestral cooking because our ancestors used to use the whole animal because they had no other option. Yeah. Like Weston A. Price. I'm sure yeah. So is rendered beef fat, specifically beef suet, which is the fat mm. around the kidney in the animal. So we believe that the most stable and healthiest cooking fat that you can use is tallow because tallow has a high heat smoking point. And then it's also highly saturated, which means that it is more stable under heat. And what are you doing when you're cooking food? You're putting it under heat. And so vegetable oil is extremely unstable and it has been shown to oxidize under these high cooking temperatures. So if you're going to cook, use tallow, butter is good as well, but it doesn't have as high of a smoking point. But I think this is where like source really matters because toxins concentrate in the fat. So you really want to source from, you know, fully grass fed, responsibly raised yeah. animals. So where do you guys get your tallow from? Yeah. So we, um, we, there's a farm called Apsi Farms in uh, central, Michigan. central Michigan. And so they are fully grass fed. We actually work for them. So, you know, you guys can check them out, but um, it's Ashley's boyfriend. Yeah. So they, we know exactly how their animals are raised. They're really awesome. They actually, it's really hard to implement regenerative agriculture if you didn't like start there. And so they transformed their um, productions to that. Um, so that's where we get our tallow. We're lucky to have a source. But when we were first starting carnivore, um, we found all of our local farms on eatwild.com. And so that's a really good resource for people to go check out. Um, you can put in like your zip code and it will, it will populate just like this massive list of farms that you would have never known are around. Yeah. She keeps saying when we were carnivore. So we still consume these products. We're still very much animal-based, but we've added oh, in carbohydrates because yeah, yeah. we feel better doing that. Um, yeah. but other websites to check out if eat wild doesn't have one close to you is localharvest.org, And then regenerationinternational.org has a like regenerative farm map. Um, so those are other, and then American grass fed association also has a regenerative map as well. Um, but as a note, um, it seems to be easier to find regeneratively grown meat than like regeneratively grown produce. And so that is an area of our food system that definitely needs work. Um, I think that like, for example, we don't have a source of local regeneratively grown produce and I wish we did. Um, so our next best bet is organic. Organic is still great because it doesn't use like Roundup, for example, um, but organic doesn't mean that it's necessarily improving soil health. They still use a lot of destructive practices. They can some, there's of course some farms that do it right and are doing regenerative, but some organic farms are still using, um, single crops. So they're doing monocropping, they're still tilling and they're not necessarily implementing practices such as like cover cropping and things like that. So it's really hard to find regeneratively sourced produce. And I don't, that's never our advice because I think this is an overwhelming experience for someone as a consumer. Like, oh my God, I have to know where all of my food comes from. No, start with just like one thing. So like if you're buying eggs from the grocery store, stop doing that and go find your local farmer and buy pasteurized eggs from your farmer. Start with just one thing. And then once you get your eggs sourced down, then you can maybe find a meat farm such as Apsi Farms that delivers directly to your door. That makes it easy for you. Now you don't have to go to grocery stores and like what does this label mean? What does this label mean? Like, is this actually grass fed? Do I actually know 
which country this is coming from because the United States doesn't have the mandate that it has to know, show where that meat is actually raised like it does with produce. Um, so after eggs, maybe go to an online meat delivery service that can deliver directly to your door and you'll know where the source is. Um, it, it can be a really overwhelming experience and I never want someone to shoot for perfection. It's just like making one change at a time. Yeah. I love that messaging. That's great. Um, and so you were also talking about raw milk. What, oh. what's happened to our milk? <laughs> oh my gosh, why is there such a stigma against raw milk? Okay. That's okay. <laughs> I, I personally think that there's just like, um, a, well, first off, you should not be consuming raw milk from a confinement operation. That would be a horrible idea. Um, those animals are not treated properly. There's a ton of chemicals. They're consuming, um, a lot of weird feed with a lot of chemicals and they're all like in their manure all the time. Um, yes. and so if you are consuming raw milk, make sure that you are getting it from a farmer that you trust that tests their milk regularly. and doesn't use weird antibiotics, weird hormones, and is using good quality feed if they're supplementing their animals with feed. Um, but I think that there's just like this overarching fear of the word raw. Um, and it's kind of like gone all throughout our food system, which understandably, like you shouldn't be, I don't think people should be consuming a bunch of raw food, but, um, if you go back, like our ancestors history, like raw milk was a food that people consumed regularly because when people were like colonizing new areas, the fastest food source they had was milk because they could bring the animals with them, milk them and have food right on hand. Um, and so like it's been a part of our upbringing. Um, but I do think that as we move towards more like industrial agriculture practices, um, the confinement operations definitely led to some weird contamination in the milks. And I, do you remember the story about like well, the brewery, the brewing uh, like back of the breweries? So they were, they would, they needed to find a way to bring, this is the origin of pasteurization, bring the raw milk from the dairy farms into the industrialized cities without refrigeration and so what would happen is these milks would get contaminated and apparently they were like blue yeah and oh. yes in order to get rid of like who's gonna drink blue milk you know so you have to clean that up so instead of cleaning up the sources uh, that were causing this like the contaminated stuffed dairy farms they just pasteurized the milk and brought that in and so long story short people just have come to get used to pasteurization it's just just like how we're used to certain things. I don't know. What's another example. We're used to wearing sunscreen, you know, from the day we're born. Cause it's, we're just told to avoid the sun. Um, it's just what we're used to. But if you actually go to the farm and get to know the farmer, see the place for yourself, you fully understand that from the cow's teat or the goat's teat to the bottle, there's nothing that's really happening to contaminate the milk you should feel more comfortable drinking that as opposed to milk that's just like completely separated from the animal then goes through all these different vats and all these different chemical processes to the end product. So we're not saying you like absolutely have to drink raw milk. There's really great. I think what's the brand? Kaluna? Kaluna Supernatural. It's pasteurized, but it's um, not. Flash pasteurized. That, yeah. So quickly pasteurized. Um, you can find that in most of your grocery stores. Um, but they prioritize obviously 100% grass fed. I think that's just like the most important thing. It, it's just as our food system has moved to more and more confinement, more and more like maximizing yield, stuffing as many animals into a building, it just doesn't make sense to sell raw milk from those type of things. And th that type of milk should be pasteurized. 
Um, there are certain enzymes that get deactivated when you pasteurize it. However, I don't think that pasteurized milk is bad. What the biggest issue is, is are all these weird antibiotics and hormones that they're stuffing the cows with. And then also all of these synthetic added vitamins, a and vitamin D can cause a lot of like, and then all the carriers that they use for those can cause like allergic symptoms, allergy symptoms. Yeah. Um, what you see is a lot of people, and this was for us too, who had dairy sensitivities, and then they actually slowly introduce raw milk because it already contains the lactose that you might need to digest it. Actually you don't have a problem with milk. It's really interesting. And lactase. Goat, lactase and goat milk is the most similar to human milk. So we actually use that. Um, and we have no problems with this. So it is really interesting just to see that there's this website called real milk finder, and it's part of the Weston A price, no, no, real milk.com, real milk.com. And they have a real milk, they finder. Have a real milk finder. It's part of the Weston A price. And they mm -hmm. talk a lot more about, you know, what happened with raw milk and all that stuff. Um, but we don't demonize pasteurized no. milk. It's just like, it, it's just a matter of fact that like raw milk has a ton of nutrients if it's sourced from a good farm. Yeah. Um, like a lot, there's a lot of stories on the Weston A price site where they like people really just come back to their health by yeah. just incorporating raw milk. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I think that's just interesting in general where we're so used to eating like processed food, being surrounded by all these chemicals and toxins that even if we don't have specific, um, health complaints, we don't really know how good we can feel until we transition to like eating organic or eating regenerative food um, and getting those toxic toxins out of our body. Cause that's just how we've always been living. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that is similar to like our, our mold experience too. You never really recognize, you know, how great you were feeling or anything until you, your liver is burdened and <laughs> needs to deal with all these toxins. So yeah. Yeah. And, um, y'all also talked a little bit about you've introduced vegetables back in, but before you were eating vegetables in the wrong way, like raw vegetables or whatever. So how do you, what advice do you have for people, um, on what vegetables to eat and then also how to prepare them? So you don't have the anti-nutrients in them. I, there's so many different opinions here. So for us, we're really all about, um, just allowing our metabolisms to function optimally. And so we're thinking about how to support our thyroid and how to eat, not necessarily fully eliminate, but, um, lessen the burden. And so we're thinking about how to support that with nutrients and avoid excess toxins for our bodies to have to deal with in order to get the nutrients we need. And so when we're thinking about vegetables, we're, we really love like leafy greens, um, because they do come with a lot of minerals. They're a really great source of magnesium, namely, but we cook them. We, like our, you have to boil those for like three yeah, hours. We, we cook them well. Oh, and that whoa. way they're far. Well, you don't have to do three hours. Okay. You cook them well <laughs> and they're far easier to digest as opposed to just like, I'm going to eat this salad. Um, I'm a rabbit. I'm going to eat this salad right here. Yeah. Like a big <laughs> salad. And so from firsthand experience, I used to eat like just big bowls of salad and I would be really bloated and I mean, pretty constipated to be completely honest. And I would find a lot of undigested food in my stool and I'm wondering like, what's going on? And so it's really miraculous when you actually like, just put the leafy greens, I don't know, like collards, um, Swiss chard into your bone broth or something, or in your crock pot with a roast and you cook it as a meal. And then you eat it with the, um, saturated fats and all the different minerals. 
And your body just like absorbs the nutrients in the animal protein. Yeah. It's just, it's a, such a difference than just like snacking on like a raw cauliflower head. <laughs> if you're really trying to improve your de- detoxification and improve your metabolism, um, it's best to just cook things, prepare things properly to allow for easy absorption, yeah. right? We just want to maximize the amount of nutrients we're getting, minimize the amount of anti-nutrients. And so that's, that's the whole foundation for the way we eat. And so that's, we, when it comes to vegetables, you know, we really do like the leafy greens, like I said, but they're always just like a side piece. They're yeah. never the main part of the plate necessarily. Um, I would say that it's important to remember that a lot of the soil health in our country has been destroyed through industrial agriculture practices and the state of the soil health will determine how many chemicals are required to grow something in that soil. So it's, it's no longer soil, it's dirt and it's not really alive. And so in order to grow something in dirt, you need a lot of agrochemicals. You need a lot of pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, fertilizer, and those things don't just go and stay in the dirt. They end up in the vegetables as well. So if you can, I think sourcing organic is super important for produce. Um, it will end up in the food. And I think that, like she said, we want to minimize the amount of not only anti-nutrients, but also the amount of like glyphosate and Roundup that we're exposed to, which has been shown to have a number of issues inside of our body. Um, so besides like well-cooked greens that we add to broth and like really cook them down, um, the only other like really vegetables that we consume are like, uh, carrots and mushrooms. Um, those have been really, there's a lot of interesting studies, studies showing that those can help reduce endotoxins in the gut, um, and elevated levels of estrogen. So we kind of view those, it's called like the daily repeat carrot salad, but you can also use mushrooms. And so we kind of like to think that as like the carrot fiber or the mushroom fiber is like this sponge brush. If you add a little bit of coconut oil or apple cider vinegar, that's like, uh, like cleaning agents. And so that can like (laughs) go through your system and help improve your digestion. So the goal with vegetables should never be the more, the better. It should always be, how can I cook this in a way that doesn't cause digestive distress? Because we do not want to add more things in our gut. We are exposed to so many toxins already that we want to make it easy for our gut to, absorb these nutrients. Um, so as a note, the carrot is raw. Yeah. I would, I would say in general, besides the carrot and besides the carrot cooking your vegetables as like a lot, adding them to soups and stews where it's like low and slow. I think that that's going to be someone's best bet. Um, having raw cauliflower heads, like she said, it's just not really doing your thyroid or your gut much. much. Yeah. And the low and slow cooking is good for meat too. Right. So you don't get as many aphids. Oh, for sure. So that's just another thing. That's important to touch on. So if somebody's really like trying to figure out the landscape of animal meats, um, don't, okay. And this is goes with price too. try to not prioritize like just the steak. Okay. So when we like think of the grocery store, we think of like the sirloin, the ribeye, the tenderloin, these are really expensive. And that's like really all you see, but the beauty, the magic is really in the rest of the animal. Yeah. And so that's really our nose to tail approach, but it doesn't even have to be weird nose to tail things. This is like thinking of taking a like arm roast or a truck roast. 
because you're going to get that bone, you're going to get the connective tissue. And so what that is, when it cooks down, you're going from collagen to gelatin. So when you're eating that meat, you're now getting all of the amino acids, but you're also getting those really nutrient, like, um, tendon loving, like glycine. So you're getting this balance of methionine to glycine. Whereas if you were to just eat a lot of muscle meats, it can be inflammatory. And this mm -hmm. is something we learned with carnivore, just focusing on the muscle meat. So in this includes things like chicken breast too, just focusing on those things without incorporating the glycine and the collagen, you're not really getting that beautiful blend of amino acids to be really nourishing and not inflammatory. So the easiest way to just go about this is like you said, slow cooking, just take a roast, put it in the slow cooker. It'll break down beautifully. And then you're left with that broth. That's got a bunch of collagen in it. You've got the muscle meat. You've just got everything perfect. And so really you could really just rely on your slow cooker. We have our crock pot running at all times. It's the perfect thing. <laughs> yeah. And fall's coming up. So and, it's so easy. And just on that note, um, an entire animal is roughly like over 50% collagen. And so full usage of an animal to honor the animal's life and to be the most sustainable practice zero waste um, and do what our ancestors did, which was use the whole animal that would require eating 50% of your protein, like as gelatin sources and sorry, but a tenderloin and all of your favorite cuts, likely like a chicken breast, those are, those are not very balanced with that methionine, the glycine. And so there's just so many beauties to using the, like she said, uh, the roasts, the shanks, the oxtail and things like that, yeah. which you, it's so easy to just toss in the crock pot in the morning. Yeah. Talk about gut health. Yes. With like bone broths and stuff. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. I really wish that there was more access to regeneratively grown produce because once, even if you are using organic and you don't like you're limiting your amount of toxins and sprays that you're getting, um, the, the food is dead. Like you, from like being harvested to how long it takes to be like transferred to the grocery store. It's like, we're still, still aren't getting the amount of nutrients that we really need. Can I, can I just comment one? Yeah, one for sure. <laughs> so you hear the buzzword of like sustainable agriculture, right? And so I guess like organic would kind of be under the term sustainable agriculture, but we are not at the luxury to be sustainable. We have to regenerate improve the soil health sustains sustainable agriculture means we sustain who wants to sustain a degraded system our soil health is not good um, we need to implement these regenerative agriculture practices and it's not feasible to do this 100 percent. it's about doing things like 25 percent of our agriculture system if we could switch to that that would be a huge improvement in our soil health and there's numerous studies documenting that healthy soil grows more nutritious food because healthy soil contains live microbes and fungi that have access to this nutrient pool in the soil. So this nutrient pool in the soil is composed of thousands of minerals, trace minerals that we don't even have names for, but those microbes can access them and deliver them to the plant if the soil is healthy and if someone is implementing regenerative agriculture practices with a lot of these industrial agriculture practices, like we brought up earlier, like the soil is dead, that plant and fungi relationship doesn't exist. And so instead the plant simply relies on the limited set of nutrients we spray with fertilizer. And so how can you expect that those two different plants, for example, an orange grown with just fertilizer versus an orange grown 
with the microbial um, access to that deeper nutrient pool, those can't have the same nutrients. It's, it's, you can't expect that. So that was just a note there. You bring up a great point. Like it would be so cool if we could source all of our produce as regenerative, because we would definitely be maximizing our nutrient intake and getting access to this like wide array of not only vitamins and minerals and trace minerals, but also phytonutrients. Lastly, we ask every guest to finish the following sentence. The future is blank. Well, I think we know now since we've said it so many times, the future is regenerative. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know what you're saying, but it's totally regenerative. Yeah. Um, and it, it doesn't, like she was saying, it could be overwhelming for somebody to think about how am I going to afford this or where am I going to find these things? And so like Ashley said, um, just start small, like start with one thing, you know, go find some eggs at a farmer. And, um, when it comes to buying your meat and you're like looking into local farms, if you source directly and you buy in bulk and you buy these more, you know, off parts, you can really get the price down. So it's little steps in the right direction. We're not perfect either. Um, but if the future is regenerative, it, it's going to take all of us to make these little steps in the right direction. Yeah. Um, regenerative farmers don't necessarily get the same levels of subsidies on certain things. And so they need as much support as they can. So make sure you find and support your local Local farmer. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Future is Healthy podcast. If you loved what you heard, subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts. And if you think someone you know can benefit from any of the info we talked about, share this with friends and family and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. We don't rely on paid ads so that you can trust we have no conflict of interest in any of the information we provide or talk about in this podcast. If you support what we're doing, you can help us to continue putting out content by clicking the link to support the Future is Healthy podcast. This podcast is for general education purposes only. It is not a substitute for treatment, diagnoses, or professional medical advice. It does not constitute the practice of medicine or other qualified professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information from this podcast and any of the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. If you are seeking advice for any medical condition, it is important to seek the assistance from a qualified, trained, and licensed medical practitioner.